What does your work have to do with your relationship with God? How do faith and our job connect? And what does God have to say about it? That's what we're talking about today in this episode of the Tower Hill Church Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason. I hope that you're having a great day wherever you're listening to us today. Maybe you're at the gym, at home, on your way to and from work. I pray that this helps you grow closer in your faith with Jesus Christ. So it's been a crazy couple of weeks around here. At least for me personally, it has felt crazy. Uh, We had four funerals in about 10 days and a wedding and I was in and out of town for a couple of different opportunities going on and feeling really kind of discombobulated, disjointed a little bit from from the rest of my life. And I know that many of you, you're experiencing this right now. You are feeling the weight of your schedule. You're feeling the weight of the pressure you feel because maybe you're not spending as much time with your kids or your family as you feel like you should. Maybe you have a tendency to overwork. Maybe you're in a time of transition with work and you're not sure what's going on and it's causing a lot of anxiety. You know, there's something about our work that we can't seem to divorce from our own sense of self. I find that even work in the church, as I'm doing my work, I'm finding that I'm relying on my work oftentimes for my own sense of self-worth, for my own sense of identity, of purpose and meaning. But is that really what God wants? Is that what God has in mind when he thinks about the work that we do? That's really what today's sermon topic is about. This is our series, Gospel in Life, and it's all about work, and what does it mean, and why does God care about it? And as I told the congregation on Sunday, he cares about it very deeply, but probably not in the way that you think. And I'm excited for you to hear this message today, because I think it may help as you consider what is the relationship that you have with your work and How is that relationship related or not related to your faith in God? Because that is so important. That is such an important connection that we all need to make, whether we work for the marketplace or we work for the church. So I am with you. As I always say, these sermons are for me. (laughs) The sermons that I write are really what I'm hearing God tell me, and I'm just sharing it with all of you. Well, in church world, we if you're listening in real time, we're come rounding into November. We have a couple of weeks left of October, and we're getting excited and looking forward to something we're doing this November that I cannot wait to share with you. So I'm not going to wait. I'm going to share with you right now. It's called Be Rich. Be Rich. And it's all about how to be rich toward God. We are doing this really cool thing. So this Be Rich series comes to us from our friends down at North Point in Atlanta and the whole idea for it. It's a sermon series, but it's also a series of action steps. We're going to collect from the congregation above and beyond the regular giving $39.95. 
Now that sounds kind of silly, but we're gonna have some fun with that. Thirty nine ninety five, and we're gonna bless, we're gonna surprise one of our mission partners that we support with an extra gift that they're not expecting, and then we are also gonna be uh, collecting our mana bags, our food bags, and turkeys for Thanksgiving for those in need. We're gonna be doing that. We're gonna be doing a, a partner with one of our other mission partners. Uh, love thy neighbor. We're going to help sort some furniture for them. We're going to have all these great op- opportunities for November, and every single one of them has to do with something outside the walls of the church. Every dollar we collect, everything we do, everything is going right back out, and we cannot wait. So I hope that you'll join us for that series. It begins the first Sunday in November. It's going to be really cool, and hope that you can make it. Well, now, without further ado, we're going to jump into this week's sermon the gospel in life, and work. Have a great day, everyone. Let's go back to what we were talking about last week, that Jesus came. When Jesus came, something fundamentally shifted. He brought the power of the kingdom of God near. So I, I say it's kind of like the world had been in a dark room. You've been in a dark room and it's just so dark, like there's nothing, there's no light, and you're just fumbling around. That that was the world after sin ruined the relationship of human beings with God. It was darkness. And what Jesus did was this sin-broken world in a dark room, he brought, just by his presence on earth, he brought the kingdom of God near, just outside that room. What is the kingdom of God? It's the place where you experience freedom and joy and peace and fulfilling your purpose that God has, the plan for your life. It goes for all eternity, but it begins the minute that you put your faith In Jesus, this is the kingdom of God that is growing and will grow until there is nothing left. That the old world will pass away and the new kingdom of God will be all that remains. And so as he brought the power of the kingdom of God, what did Jesus do? He made a way for us to experience. The gospel is the means by which the Father is using uh, it means the Father's using to bring us into the kingdom of God. So what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus died on the cross, taking upon him the sin of the entire world so that it was forgiven, so that we could, even in the midst of our darkness, we could enter God's kingdom. He did it for us because we could not do it on our own. So Jesus is really the door. He is the door to the kingdom of God. He is, in a way, he is the the in-person, in-the-flesh kingdom of God, and he is the door that leads us all to the kingdom of God. He opens that door by what he did on the cross, and all we have to do is walk out. Easier said than done for most of us. The gospel is the means that the Father uses to bring the kingdom of God to the world. And understanding that this was God's plan from the beginning. I think sometimes, a little aside, sometimes when we start wanting to read the Bible and learn more about our faith, we all get hung up in the Old Testament. We get to the Old Testament and we're like, man, this is just killing, killing my joy right now. I don't understand it. There's a bunch of weird stuff happening in cultures that I don't understand. And somehow, what does any of this have to do with Jesus? It has everything to do with Jesus. It's okay. Listen, we're a couple thousand years removed from that culture. Sometimes it's hard to figure out what's going on. That's why we have Bible study tools and stuff to help you. But if you think about it, you ever watch uh, book binding? 
when they're putting the book together. If you want to think of the Bible this way, the Bible from its beginning is about how God created everything, how human beings broke creation when they decided to, and you know, they were created with a free will to do it, but they decided to make, be their own God, essentially. And it broke the world, and, and the whole rest of the story is God's plan to bring it back. The whole rest of the story, the whole Bible from cover to cover is the gospel. It's the story of the good news that Jesus Christ would free us all. And before we got to that story, we had to understand how broken things were, how sin entered the world, what holiness and sin meant, how it required sacrifice and atonement and forgiveness. And we had to understand all of that. But it's like Jesus is the binding that holds it all together. That Jesus, the gospel itself, holds all created reality together. The story of our lives, the story of everything is bound together by this good news that Jesus has made a way for us to come home. So what does this have to do with our work? The gospel and work, it has everything to do with it. I don't have to tell you because you live here. What we do matters a lot to people. It matters to us. It matters to others. You go to a cocktail party, and one of the first questions, like, where you live, and what do you do? It's big. It's a big source of our own self-understanding, or maybe even our self-worth, our own identity. So, but what's the gospel have to do with it? Well, think about it this way. We love to compartmentalize our work. So, you might be in an industry or at work, and when I say work, I don't mean just that you have a full-time job. I mean, whatever it is that you were doing with your time, you might be a mega super volunteer in a lot of really good organizations. You could be working part-time. You could be a stay-at-home parent. You can, all of these things count as work, as you know. We're not just talking about your, your job that you're getting paid for. But all of this, we compartmentalize our work usually because we say, like, going to church uh, having faith in God, studying the Bible, like that's, that's my personal life. And so I, I follow God in my personal life and then my work is just work. It's like whatever, work's work. And I go to work and I do work stuff and I, and that's, and I think about it. I'm kind of consumed with it. I do it and then I come home and then I can think about family and God and my spiritual life. But what's the problem with that? <laughs> the problem is we spend at least 90% of our time at work. So if you follow that train of thought, it means 10% of the time at best, we're living out our faith. Don't think that's what Jesus had in mind in making disciples. Like 10% disciples. The key is we got to figure out how does the rest of the 90% have to do with who we've created, been created to be? We're going to talk about that today and maybe not in the way that you think. If somebody asked you why you work, what would you say? Go ahead, just turn to the person next to you. If somebody were to ask you, why do you work? What would your number one answer be? Without thinking too hard, Go person next to you. Why do you work? 
Don't worry about the church answer. Just give them the real thing. All right. What are some of the answers? Money. Right. What else? Insurance. Can't say no. Something to do. Satisfaction. Discipline. Family. Productivity. Did I hear status? Status. Oh, status. Identity. Fulfillment. Yeah. Those may be all the reasons that making a living, status, approval, identity, all of that stuff. We put a lot of our own self-worth and value on what we do. And, you know, we live in one of the areas of the country where, like, we're surrounded constantly by the most driven, productive people ever. It's like... When I talk to other pastors about the issues going on in their churches, a lot of the issues are the same, but they don't have the people that we have. It's, it's incredible. You know, you start asking people what they do, and you're just like, what have I done with my life? Like, how are you accomplishing so much? We, we have a lot of really, really super producers in our congregation. We are blessed with that. But there's an awful lot of folks who get their self-worth from what they do. Here's the problem with that. If we get our value more from what we do than who God says that we are, we will have a tendency to have an unhealthy relationship with our work. We will work ourselves to death. We will never stop because we can't stop the approval and the status, and the money, and we can't stop. And we will overwork. We won't rest properly. We won't spend time on the relationships that matter most. We won't have the right priorities. It will end up, something that could be a very, very good thing in our lives could end up being a horrible, destructive thing. when our value comes from what we do. So, and by the way, this is true in church work. I know plenty of pastors that have burned themselves out and are no longer serving churches. Just because you work for a church does not make it any different. It's the same issue. Church church workers burn out all the time because they have an unhealthy relationship with their work. And it's hard, especially when you're doing something like a human services sort of work where you're, you're truly, you feel like you're helping people. Your, your personal life and your work life is all sort of intertwined. And believe me, I know. And you can end up overdoing it, overextending yourself and never getting rest. That's not God's view of work either. God intentionally built in rest into our life. He wanted to model that even after he worked, he took a Sabbath he wants us to take Sabbath rest that we should be experiencing as we work. We should also be able to experience genuine rest, not just going on a vacation, but rest in Jesus Christ. So what does a healthy 
relationship with work look like? What is a healthy version? What is it that we're talking about? Is it just simply like, oh, I just got to put on a happy face and go to work. Whistle while you work. You know. Right? It's just, is it some kind of like fake, just slap a smile on your face and like everything? No, 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 no. Because that's not real. That's temporary. You could will yourself to act happy for only so long. I don't know. Maybe you're just a lot nicer than I am. I can't fake that for very long. So let's go back. I think this is really important to understand that the whole idea of work and how we get our value and why it's important to God, it drills down way deeper than we usually think it does. So when we look at what it means for humans to flourish, there's a biblical way of looking at this is to say, okay, how were human beings created? And then what happened after that moment where sin broke creation? So you can kind of divide uh, what works for human flourishing and what creates human brokenness based on pre-sin, you know, eating the apple. And by the way, don't get hung up. If you're like, I don't know about is Adam and Eve a literal story? Is it a parable? Is it, what about the, don't get hung up on that because Jesus didn't. The whole point of the Old Testament is for Jesus to teach things that were true about God. In the New Testament, he used parables all the time. I'm not saying Adam and Eve is a parable. I'm just saying, don't get hung up on that. Because the point is, we are created to be in a very specific kind of relationship with God, a relationship of flourishing. And we, at some point, decided we were going to be our own God. Thank you very much. We'd rather make our own decisions. We want to know everything that you know. And uh, thanks for creating us. Lovely garden. And, go, and sin, sin, that was when sin entered the world and created this division between us and God. It was all of our own doing. Yes, God gave us the free will to do that. We'll have to ask God why he did that. But he gave us the free will to do that. So then, what were human beings like before the fall? Then we could say that's what it looks like to live a flourishing, fulfilled human life. That's the, that's the life that Jesus modeled. He's the only one that modeled it when he came to live among us. That was the way that human beings are supposed to live in relationship with God, which is why we listen uh, to everything that Jesus taught and, and we emulate what he did and we imitate what he did and we learn from him and what he taught. So what happened prior, prior to the fall, as it's known? What happened prior to the fall? We were created. We were God's joyous creation. We were the, the apex of his creation. We were the grand finale. We were made, the only creatures made in his image to have a special relationship with God and with one another. Remember, he said it's not good for the man to be alone. He put us in relationship with each other, complementary relationship, that we are supposed to live in this way in order to flourish. But what also happened? He placed Adam and Eve where? You know the answer. The garden. Now listen, I am not a gardener. My wife can attest to that. I would love it if I could just create a garden and it would just grow. And I wouldn't have to do any work. Some people think gardening is like a real spiritual thing. Not so for me. It just makes me angry. <laughs> like how come I just can't throw the seeds out there, shove some dirt on it, and, it, and I get my corn and my Jersey tomatoes? Like why, why is it so much work? Because gardening is work. You have to plan and you have to have constant vigilance. You're weeding and you're caring for it. And 
You're doing everything you can to produce a crop. And that crop is for what? It was for human flourishing. We were created to work, to rearrange the natural creation to produce fruit for human flourishing. That is our God-created purpose. God created us. He said it's good. Then he gave us a job. Work is part of fulfilling who we are as human beings. That's why it matters to God, because it's how we've been created. Our work matters. There's something about work that will be, is part of God's fulfillment of living the joy-filled, spirit-filled life. Because I know for some folks, it's like, well, my job's not very spiritual. Like I go or I, and I sell stuff or I, I go and I do stuff. Um, you know, I move numbers around and I, you know, help people gain wealth or I, whatever it is that I'm doing. And I feel like it's not maybe inherently spiritual and therefore doesn't really matter to God as much or worse, maybe God doesn't like what I'm doing, but I'm doing that job anyway. But really that kind of changes that. It says my work and what I do is something that God wants for for my life. We'll get a little more into like the what in a minute. That whole idea of gardening as our work is great because uh, you cultivate a garden. And we got the word culture from that word cultivate. Human culture is the cultivation of the natural world to create human flourishing. So our work has intrinsic value and dignity. It is the care and cultivation of the material world that God wants to redeem. So how does the gospel change how we view our work? Well, I think the first thing it does is the gospel changes our motivation. It's not just about making money. It's not just about status, not just about approval. It's about something that drills deeper to who I am as a child of God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart. I love that. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So basically, you're on Jesus' payroll. We are working with all of our heart, whatever you do, as if you are doing it for the Lord. Our value comes from serving God, not our work. When it comes from our work, we will overwork. We'll have an unhealthy relationship with our work. And that's not what God wants. God created us to rest as well. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. I will give you rest. You will find your rest in me. The second thing then is, of course, the gospel changes our ethics. The gospel changes how we go about doing our work. Because 
so for example, some people think uh, that, well, what I do is not, how do I reconcile this with what God wants for the world? So maybe I work in the fashion industry and I'm like, how can God like what I'm doing when I'm basically convincing people to buy stuff they don't need every three weeks? Like, how is that creating human flourishing? How does that happen? Well, the gospel changes our ethics. It changes how we view our work. We're working with all of our heart and all of our ingenuity and and all of our strength and all of our skill as if working unto the Lord. How does that change what we do? I I had a class as part of my doctoral work uh, with Tim Keller in the city. And um, it had, you know, this woman was a uh, fairly big person in the fashion industry in New York and said, hey, You know, I I had a hard time kind of figuring that out. But then I saw that there were opportunities for me to bring the gospel to my work. That if I show a different kind of ethic, a different kind of work, that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be sleazy in in that I wasn't going to hide things from customers. Uh, I wasn't going to make backhanded deals. I was going to open, I was going to work my heart out, but with honesty and integrity and strength. And actually that that this person found her niche in creating beautiful clothes that would be more modest. And she said, I feel like that's an area where I can contribute, where I can work for the Lord in this area for the gospel and work for human flourishing at the same time. This is so important because I think sometimes we think, well, it means if I'm going to work for the Lord, I got to change my job because my job obviously now that breaks down at some point. Okay. If you're involved in like the pornography industry or human trafficking, this doesn't work. Right. Let's just be clear. Let's just be clear. This isn't just any work. It's most work. Okay. But as you are doing this, that you can, if you allow the gospel to change your ethic, you can have a gospel impact on your work in a huge way. There's a great old Testament story about this. You should look it up at some point. It's from 2 Kings chapter 5. It's the story of Naaman. Now, Naaman was uh, like the right-hand man for the Syrian king. And the Syrian king worshipped pagan gods, right? And so did Naaman at one point. And, he, you know, his job would require him to go into the temple from time to time and, you know, like bow down at the whatever god was there. I don't know off the top of my head. And... Uh, And then Naaman had a conversion experience to the God of Israel. And we might all think, well, the Christian thing to do, that's not how they frame it because there was no Christ yet. You know what I mean? The Christian thing to do is I give up that job and I find something else because God doesn't want me worshiping pagan gods. That seems very clear. Here's what Naaman did. Naaman said, no, I don't feel like I'm supposed to quit my job. This is really interesting. He had people, he, had what, he got prophet approval to make sure this was like, this counted. He went to Elisha and was like, can I do this? And he's like, sure. It was a little more intense than that. But they brought soil from Israel to Naaman in Syria. And what Naaman would do is he would put the soil on the ground and he would kneel on it. And he would do that when he was required to go to the pagan god. Uh, he would put the soil down and kneel on that to show that he was worshiping the one true God. I think that's a wonderful example 
of what it means to let the gospel transform your work. The gospel changes why you work, which has an effect on the what you're doing. It may not be that you're being called to go change jobs because of your faith. Rather, you're to allow your faith change your job. What would that look like in your life? If we all took the soil of the one true God and placed it beneath our knees at our workplace. I will do my work, but I will do it for God. Work is not what I worship. So in our work, we are to rearrange the raw material to produce human flourishing. And that's more than just sharing Jesus at the workplace. Because I think that's the sermon we usually expect to hear. We all need to figure out how to hand out Bible tracts and, you know, offer to pray for people and blast 99.1 at our cubicle. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. I think those can definitely have an impact. But how the gospel transforms your work goes much deeper than that. It goes to the created purpose of your life. That you, in order for you to thrive, has everything to do with your work. Whatever that work may be, paid, unpaid, whatever. Whatever the work of your life is, matters to God because that's how you've been created. What would happen if you saw work each day as an opportunity to allow people to flourish? How would that change your work? It would change the why. See, then you start working for God instead of money, status, all those other things we talk about that creates a broken relationship with work. What if, what if God could help you see how you've been placed in your position to have your influence to the people he's placed around you? It changes everything. Once you know that purpose, you can start living it. It changes your what because you changed your why. I think about, I just had an experience uh, last week. I was in Los Angeles. Uh, my son and I, we went to In-N-Out Burger. This is like, you got to go to In-N-Out. You go to LA, you got to go to In-N-Out. And so we go to In-N-Out. And one of the things I noticed is that, and you always notice this when you go to In-N-Out, is that the employees are so nice. They are so nice, like ridiculously nice. And when we were in line, there were some people uh, just getting really grouchy, really grouchy because they had to wait. And we in New Jersey know nothing of that. But there, there are some people who are, who are just really upset. And I swear, you know that phrase, kill them with kindness? They were slaying it with kindness. They were so nice. They're, I mean, they were so nice that these people were actually changing. Like they actually started to crack a smile and lighten up because they were so nice. The reason they do that is because they are trained. That is one of their values as an organization is that they are going to be kind and loving and generous and patient because that stuff matters. That was their purpose. And it changed how they handled those situations. They knew the why and it changed the what. You can't fake that for very long. If you don't believe in the why, you'll never sustain the what. Like, I'm just not that nice of a guy. I, I would just break down. Like, shut up. 
Jesus loves you. Shut up. <laughs> Jesus loves you. I don't. No, just kidding. <laughs> I would never say such things. <laughs> but, you, you know, think about this as a parent. You know, I'm parenting my kids. The why always matters to the what. Let's say, let's say in parenting, I ask my kids, all right, kids, uh, I'm going to have you uh, clean the bathrooms because uh, Uncle Nick's coming over. Imagine the reception I would get from such a request. Yeah. First of all, it would just be so much pain to get that to happen. They wouldn't do it, and, and there would be yelling and gnashing of teeth, and it would, just, it would not be good, and it wouldn't get clean, and I'd end up doing it anyway. But what if I told them, all right, kids, you got to clean the bathrooms because the entire cast of the new Star Wars movie is coming over. (laughs) They would be on it. Cleanest bathrooms ever. I should try that. (laughs) That'd be mean. That'd be lying. And that's not what pastors do. (laughs) So, but think about it. They would be... the what didn't change. The job was the same, but why they're doing the job changed. So in us, in fulfilling the job with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything that we have, all of our imagination and ingenuity and love and passion, if we did that, but we did it for the Lord, it changes how we do it. And then no matter how much money we make, how much status we gain, how much approval we crave, we're fulfilled because God's already told us we are everything to him. Our work is a tool for the gospel. If the gospel is the door, our work could be a flashlight in a dark room. Our work could be a flashlight to show the world that's the way out. What would it look like in your work if you were able to be that for people, to shine the light in a darkened room so that they can see Jesus and Jesus can lead them home? That's how we can live the gospel in life.